Yes, it's episode 500. <laughs> 500 episodes of the App Guy podcast. Yes, that's right. 500 episodes of the App Guy podcast. Who could believe it? I certainly can't. I mean, I started this podcast and would never have dreamt of getting to 500 episodes. This is the achievement that I have created a podcast on my own, pretty much. And I'm doing this from various locations around the world, but usually from home. And this has been a remarkable journey. Look at the uh, TV shows, the famous TV shows that are uh, less episodes than me. I mean, I've actually beat The Family Guy. The Family Guy only has 269 episodes. I've absolutely trounced that. South Park, 274 episodes. Cheers, cheers. That long running TV show in America. The Weakest Link, beat that. Dallas, something my I grew up with as a kid watching Dallas. I've beat uh, the number of episodes of Dallas. Teletubbies, <laughs> well, I mean, not a great achievement. Scooby-Doo, Thomas the Tank, The Magic Roundabout, The One Show here in the UK, America's Funniest Videos. America's Funniest Videos is actually 500. Uh, so if I can get another episode out, then hopefully I can beat that. And yet I have still to pass The Simpsons. The famous Simpsons, been running for so many years, 596 episodes as the time I'm recording this, according to Wikipedia. So uh, yeah, there's another another achievement. Hopefully I can get to 600, but 500 episodes, what a remarkable achievement. And thank you all of you, every single one of you who have listened to any episodes, or maybe you've listened to all the episodes. Uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. I've met so many remarkable app entrepreneurs, founders, startup founders, just in individuals, developers, uh, all sorts of people that have inspired me along this journey and hopefully have touched you as well and inspired you. So I just want to make this a celebration. It's 500 episodes and I've really got something special, very, very special. In fact, uh, it's, it's one of the best guests I can get. In fact, it's a huge guest. It's the co-founder of Skype. Skype was sold for $8.6 billion, roughly eight, I mean, huge uh, amount of money. And I've got the co-founder of Skype, and a remarkable man. And we're going to talk about uh, what he's getting involved with now. Uh, a lot of discussion about artificial intelligence. Uh, a wonderful chat with uh, Jan Tallinn. Um, but before I get into that, I have to say thanks to the wonderful sponsors. In fact, Gummy Cube has been with me uh, almost from the start. They've been supporting the show over the years, and I, I couldn't have done it without Gummy Cube. So I want to thank Gummy Cube. Gummy Cube is the best place to go for app store optimization. Uh, go to gummycube.com. That's gummycube.com. And also TopTal. TopTal have supported me this year, and uh, it's a wonderful place to go and tap into their uh, top network of developers. They attract uh, the top 3% of uh, developers, website developers, app developers, designers. Uh, go to toptal.com forward slash pool, toptal.com forward slash pool uh, to get an up to two week uh, trial of uh, their network of developers. Thank you both GummyCube and TopTal for supporting this remarkable episode. So Jan Tallinn didn't want to talk about Skype, but don't worry because there's a previous episode I did all about the journey of Skype, all about the story. It's episode 494 of the AppGuy podcast. Go and look in the archives or go to theappguy.co. We are going to talk about what he's doing right now. It's a fantastic guest. Okay, let's get into my chat then with Jan Tallinn. 
Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host. It's Paul Kemp. This is a very, very, very special episode. It's episode 500. We actually made it to 500. Can you believe it? 500 episodes of the App Guy podcast. Now, before I just start celebrating, I have a, a terrific ep- episode lined up for you. Uh, it's with the co-founder of uh, uh, Skype. Skype is the reason why this show exists. It's the reason why I can get so many guests on the show uh, and we can do it virtually. He's one of the co-founders of Skype. It's Jan Tallinn. We're going to be talking about uh, what he's doing at the moment, which is promoting the study of existential risk as it relates to AI. And uh, basically, in a nutshell, I, I think that is something to do with the, you know, the possibility of the human race not existing in the future. So a really important topic. Um, Jan, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on on this special, special episode 500. So, uh, you know, let's let's um, uh, go straight into it. Then, how is the human race going to survive with artificial artificial intelligence looming? What's the big threat to us? Well, first of all, AI is just uh, one of the many potential existential risks. Uh, the sort of the big idea is that uh, uh, our As we are creating more and more powerful technologies, um, the effective radius uh, of um, influence uh, that new technologies have keeps increasing while the planet uh, does not. Uh, so if you can imagine that uh, clearly you can do way more damage uh, with nuclear weapons than you ca- could do with, uh, with rifles. Uh, and, uh, and nuclear weapons are just uh, almost 100 year old technology uh, it's kind of um, and we in some ways we got lucky that uh, it's actually hard to construct nuclear weapons whereas some of the new stuff uh, that's on the horizon might actually be fairly easy you know it's interesting you we're talking about um the possibility of exterminating the human race with nuclear weapons at a time that's actually seems quite dangerous with the threat of world war three coming and the potential conflict between the us and um, russia Uh, but as it relates to AI, surely this is uh, hundreds of years off. Have you got any kind of clues to ha- how far in the future this potential uh, may be? So I think it's important to be kind of, uh, humble uh, when uh, projecting uh, sort of future timelines. Like the, the Interesting thing with, uh, if you look at the previous breakthrough technologies, uh, such as uh, uh, heavier than air flight. Well, heavier than air flight looked like uh, 500 years off uh, when it was uh, actually 500 years off. Uh, But it uh, still looked 500 years off when it was merely just a couple of decades off. Uh, So, uh, and some some people even uh, didn't, didn't know that heavier the air flight was possible after the um, after it already had uh, sort of done on this planet. Uh, so, and uh, the other example that uh, Professor Stuart Russell, uh, the guy who uh, has written the, the main AI textbook, likes to point out, uh, was the fact that uh, uh, I think it was in uh, like September. 11th uh, in I forget we, we can, we can source that yeah, yeah. Um, we'll put a link yeah, yeah. in the show notes if you so, like so the, uh, 
so uh, in uh, I think it was in 30s uh, last uh, century when Ernst Rutherford uh, the really kind of prominent nuclear scientist uh, said that anyone who is uh, thinking or talking about uh, harnessing nuclear energy uh, is uh, talking moonshine uh, and uh, Leo Szilard invented the nuclear reactions the next day uh, therefore like it's uh, it's kind of uh, when people say that some some technology that is in principle possible uh, but uh, hundreds of years off uh, they are what's called uh, overconfidently pessimist uh, in the sense that they don't actually have uh, sufficient evidence to to make uh, such a confident prediction uh, and this is where you're testing my history now I'm pretty sure that a lot of money went into uh, trying to uh, discover flight and the Wright brothers were incredibly uh, underfunded but they had a passionate group of people around them and they were the ones uh, that uh, got to flight before uh, some of the uh, you know rich universities and uh, people with lots of resources behind them who failed and failed and failed so I'm guessing it's not just money that will get people to uh, you know where we are inevitably going is that true exactly that's uh, that actually has been more like a rule rather than an exception I think that what most prominent exception uh, uh, to the rule that uh, uh, you really can't buy uh, scientific breakthroughs with uh, uh, with money was the Manhattan Project where there was like a deliberate uh, well-funded effort uh, to construct nuclear weapons uh, other than that like usual Usually the way breakthroughs happen is that, uh, yeah, like like white brothers, uh, just uh, kind of coming, stumbling on upon some kind of new approach uh, that actually opens up a new landscape of uh, possibilities. But where are we now then in terms of uh, at the point of artificial intelligence? Because I'm sure a lot of people are listening to you and thinking, well, I've got, you know, the Amazon Echo and it just doesn't work, you know, when I ask it questions. Uh, you've got Siri who fails over and over again. Um, you know, uh, wh- where are we at, uh, at right now, 2016, with artificial intelligence? Uh, so there's, there are like very many ways to uh, frame the current situation. Uh, so one important um, background context is like uh, uh, the AI has been kind of uh, coming and going in this uh, sort of fashion cycles uh, called uh, AI summers and AI winters. Uh, so like there is this, uh, uh, somebody makes a breakthrough and uh, a lot of people pile on and, and this uh, kind of uh, the topic of AI uh, becomes fashionable. And then at some point uh, like the researchers don't live up to the promise and the investment dies down and then you have this uh, what's called AI winter. Uh, and right now we are firmly in the AI summer uh, there is uh, kind of increasing amount of uh, investment being uh, poured into artificial intelligence and machine learning. And one of the reasons is that uh, uh, now there people have figured out ways how to actually uh, turn marginal uh, sort of improvements in AI into uh, actual profits and revenue. So, uh, like, if you actually improve uh, Google's uh, AI algorithms, uh, that will actually show up in in uh, in Google's uh, profits and eventually uh, share share price. Uh, therefore, there is this uh, existing economic pressure 
uh, to improve the AI algorithms. The other way of, uh, of framing AI is that uh, what kind of uh, approach has been the dominant one. Uh, whereas in the past, uh, there were like, when, when AI started, like uh, the dominant approach was so-called symbolic uh, AI, uh, sort of trying to code up uh, rules of thinking uh, in terms of symbols and symbol manipulations, uh, such as like logic, uh, logical operations. Whereas uh, the currently, uh, as uh, almost everyone is aware, uh, the dominant approach is so-called deep learning, uh, which is uh, instead of having very sort of uh, clear-cut symbols, you have this uh, like human, almost like human intuition-like uh, systems that just look at a lot, look at a lot of data and uh, try to develop uh, uh, patterns or intuitions uh, about that data. I mean, let's t talk then about the thing that perhaps is most, uh, the biggest breakthrough that we could almost um, realize, but also then the biggest danger, which I'm guessing is uh, consciousness. When uh, machines get some form of consciousness, uh, which ultimately then means that they're perhaps slightly interested in their own survival uh, over and above us humans, um, you know, who will, potentially be like ants to them where they don't care if they stamp on us or not, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, is, do you think a lot about consciousness within the framework of artificial intelligence? Well, interestingly, almost everything you said is false. So, right, okay, uh, that's why we've got you on the show. <laughs> so uh, I think consciousness is a bit of a red herring. Uh, if you think about it, uh, when we ask whether a machine is conscious or not, what we are asking is whether this machine but what this machine is. However, I'm much more interested in what the machine does. Uh, it's, it's actually pretty plausible and it seems even likely uh, that the machines that will uh, dominate humanity will actually not be conscious. Uh, so they are just very, very competent. And the danger isn't uh, that uh, we are uh, creating machines that will kind of uh, break free of the programs that we gave them, like no, this is this isn't how uh, uh, sort of machines and uh, programs work. Like there is no there is no kind of a ghost behind uh, uh, ghost in a computer that reads the instructions and then like decides whether to to execute them or discard them. No, the instructions are the uh, the software is the machine, so to speak. Right? Obviously implemented in hardware. Uh, so the danger really is that we are going to create uh, really really competent systems uh, that do that have very precise word models and are able to uh, foresee the consequences of their own actions very, very well, much better than humans or even better than humanity in, in, in its entirety. So uh, so whenever they want something, like uh, they obviously want something that we actually programmed them to want, and they are much competent than, uh, than uh, humans who created them, basically they will get it. Uh, and uh, so it will be almost like a sort of a King Midas or, or Genie uh, story where we basically think we want something, yet actually if we uh, let the machine loose to do it, uh, we quickly find out that actually no, this is what we actually didn't, uh, uh, we don't want this after all, however, th then it might be too late. It's interesting because this comes on the back of uh, something I learned recently, which is the rise of the financial institution BlackRock. As you know, in our pre-chat, I was talking about uh, I was in uh, finance and asset management. And 
uh, BlackRock uh, gained its prominence and financial success through uh, its use of, in a way, AI and uh, machines to predict the potential uh, risks and outcome of the economic climate. Uh, and um, I guess if we just, I mean, that was you know many years ago, so if we extrapolate that to then uh, ultimately being totally reliant on uh, these very competent machines to the point where do we need humanity? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think the comparison with uh, uh, various institutions is pretty apt. Like we, like humans, do have this. Um, I think correcting the institutions that it's possible to have an organization to do something without actually any human who works that, for that organization uh, actually wanting uh, this thing to happen. So uh, it's obvious. Like if there's a of very centralized organization, then the sort of CEO has uh, the ultimate control. Uh, but even then, like uh, the CEO's uh, hands might be tied, and and uh, uh, so there might be some sort of like a emergent, almost like an emergent will that uh, that the corporation uh, might exhibit. So so I think the, the, the this isn't like exact analogy, uh, but it is uh, pretty close to to what we. Uh, people with concerns with AI safety I'm talking about. You know, I'm getting a lot of my information from films, which I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> listening to this uh, are uh, thinking about. And I can't help but think about The uh, Matrix. And uh, in there, there was a discussion about control. You know, what is control? And, and what I'm learning from you is that, uh, that, that potentially we could have uh, a future where we, in a, in a way, lose control because we are... Um, almost uh, low-level existence compared to these very competent machines that are, are being developed. Have you got any views on, on the control? Yeah, so importantly, uh, the technology that we have developed so far and institutions that we have created, they kind of uh, assume that the controller is external to the system. Uh, so so uh, and that's kind of very starkly visible in, in so-called autonomous system discussions, like when we've been talking about autonomous weapons, for example, like uh, to our, uh, is, where is the human? Is it like, uh, uh, they call it in the loop, is it on the loop or is it out of the loop? Uh, and uh, so far, whenever tools we have uh, developed, uh, there is this, uh, uh, we assume that humans is actually, human is actually the one uh, that uh, uh, uses the tool and, and uh, controls that that tool. However, w once we start talking about autonomous systems, uh, especially systems that are actually able to foresee the consequences of being turned off, that the control mechanisms kind of uh, assume that the system that's being controlled is not aware of the control systems, of the control system itself. Uh, and so like, if, there's a, if there's a button that you use to turn off the machine, yet the machine actually can is aware of that button and can predict what, the, what are the consequences of it per, being turned off and way the uh, way it's uh, of, uh, what, so good, fulfill yeah, good fulfillment. Then it's like, it actually, uh, it's not really about uh, sort of anything human, like survival instinct or anything. It's just, uh, it's kind of very natural consequence of good directed behavior. Uh, for example, if there's a, if there's a robot that uh, that uh, is is uh, whose goal is to fetch coffee, yet there's a huge hole in the floor, 
of course it's going to go around that floor because like uh, uh, it's not because it's kind of afraid of falling into that uh, that hole but it knows that if it falls into that hole then it will not be able to fetch that coffee it's kind of it's just so trivial that some people don't really I'm like it, like it really frustrates me how, how people think that the, in order to go around that hole you have to have survival instinct no it's just basic uh, basic goal directed behavior you avoid obstacles when you want to uh, get to go so similar thing like if you have a off switch and your, your goal is to like, fetch coffee if you see that being switched off you will not be able to fetch the coffee you will avoid being switched off it's time to thank my sponsors first dummy cube Gummy Cube helps you with organic app downloads. And let me give you an example of someone they worked with recently. They worked with a company called UCAM Makeup and they achieved more than 1,200, that's 1,200% growth all organically. They worked with them, they uh, have over 800,000 five-star ratings and they used Gummy Cube and the downloads um, really uh, accelerated through Gummy Cube's efforts. Uh, they have a full uh, case study on their website. So to read more about the case study with UCAM uh, using Gummy Cube for app store optimization, go to gummycube.com, gummycube.com and you can click on uh, ASO case studies and you can see for yourself what they've done with other companies to help organic mobile app downloads. Uh, so go to gummycube.com. I highly recommend them, gummycube.com. And thank you very much to Gummycube for continuing to support the show. Next is TopTal. Let me give you a case study about TopTal. Uh, it involves uh, Sharik Minas, who's the co-founder of Stayful. And he started out using his own cash and he wasn't really a big fan of outsourcing. However, he did learn whilst he was working at Lyft uh, that the company had built core parts of their product using outsourcers. So Sharik tried some places, you know, the usual platforms, and he quickly learned that the reviews aren't actually that accurate. Uh, you know, maybe they're agencies. So he turned to Brendan, the co-founder of TopTal. He was told about TopTal's model, how they do their screening and their risk-free uh, trial. And then he had a Skype chat with TopTal, discussed the requirements, and he was introduced to Martin, a back-end engineer who's based in Argentina. He started working with Martin. He was so happy. The process was smooth. It didn't take any time. It was exactly what Sharik was looking for. And uh, they traveled to a big conference, uh, showcased version one, which Martin had built. And uh, he managed then Sharik to close this big round. And it was all because of TopTal. So to get a two-week trial, uh, which is risk-free and they will refund the money and pay the developer if it doesn't work out. So go to toptal.com forward slash Paul, toptal.com forward slash Paul. And thank you very much to TopTal for continuing to support the show. So let's get back to my episode with Jan Tallinn, co-founder of Skype. This is really fascinating. So what I'm learning from you is that, uh, that it's all about, uh, you know, the goal of these machines, these new um artificial intelligent robots, whatever they may be, uh, and that they're going to show very different characteristics to humans. Uh, but I'm guessing that there's, like everything in life, Jan, that there's good and bad that could come from it. I mean, um, like, you, you know, you talked about nuclear and the good and the bad that comes from that. Isn't, um, is it just the same with uh, artificial intelligence that it, there's going to be good and there's going to be perhaps not so good for our uh, human development? Yeah, absolutely. The, one of the big reasons why I'm focusing on AI and not, not the other risks, uh, for example, uh, risks from new new kinds of biology, uh, biological, biological technologies, uh, which uh, might actually be more urgent than the AI risk. 
the reason why I'm focusing on AI is that indeed it has this huge upside. Uh, in fact, like if we get the AI right, uh, then uh, uh, we basically would be able to address all the other existential risks. Whereas if we had just fixed the nanotechnology or nuclear or, or biology, synthetic biology risks, uh, that would not help us uh, directly with, uh, uh, with AI risk. So actually, as far as I know, Elon's, Elon Musk's uh, interest, uh, recent interest in AI actually was a direct consequence of uh, uh, him kind of realizing that, wait a minute, like becoming multiplanetary species will help us against uh, all the existential risks except the AI risk. Because, of course, if we are able to travel multi, multi basically interplanetary distances, so is AI. It's fascinating. Are you in Elon's group? I know he's put a pact together to, uh, I, um, I guess, uh, try to prevent uh, the um, extinction of the human species. Uh, are you involved in that? Uh, so I think uh, when it comes to AI, as far as I know, there are two initiatives that uh, Elon has uh, supported. One is uh, uh, like supporting AI safety research through uh, what's known as uh, uh, Future Flight Institute, uh, which is an institute uh, at MIT, uh, where I'm a co-founder indeed. And we've been kind of uh, handing out uh, Elon's uh, money. He donated $10 million uh, in research grants uh, to different uh, kind of AI researchers uh, who would be interested in, in actually focusing on uh, on the, do, uh, sort of doing the homework of AI, other AI researchers uh, who are interested in sort of, who otherwise would be just focusing on the competence part. Uh, but I think it's important to also, also do research in the control part and in the transparency part and, uh, and basically what's called overall term for it is value alignment. And the other initiative that Elon Musk started, uh, I think earlier this year, is OpenAI. Uh, so there's this uh, group in, uh, in San Francisco uh, that uh, is basically uh, trying to do AI development, uh, but they also have uh, hired many uh, excellent safety uh, people. In fact, I do think that the OpenAI safety team is right now uh, the best in the world uh, compared to like other uh, other AI groups uh, anywhere, as far as I know. And um, uh, yeah, and also like kind of focus on the developing focus on developing AI outside of uh, commercial context. Uh, whether that's a good idea or not, I have some reservations, uh, but uh, I've certainly acknowledged that the uh, group of people that they have put together is really excellent. Yeah, I mean, you've obviously seen the benefits of technology from building something that's commercially focused <laughs> with Skype and uh, and the adoption of it. But, but I was wondering, like, so for the uh, apps to tribe listening to this, for our listeners who we've had many who have quit corporate jobs, they want to get involved in startups, tech, and certainly AI is a phenomenally interesting subject and, it, you know, is really the future. What um, would you suggest to anyone who, who wants to get more involved in this stuff? Should they perhaps, uh, what, apply for some of those grants or uh, join some of those organizations? So if you're uh, just interested in uh, sort of AI research, well, I think it's sort of a Regardless of whether you're, you're interested in AI research uh, that is kind of increasing the competence of machines or AI safety research that is uh, increasing the, improving the value alignment, 
like I think a good place to start would be to just get uh, a better understanding of what uh, AI is and, and what the uh, newest technologies are. There are many excellent uh, books out there uh, and uh, of open uh, open courses. Uh, I think Hacker News publishes uh, like, uh, some new course every every week or a couple of weeks actually. Uh, and uh, when you are specifically interested uh, in AI safety, there is a, a website called uh, 80,000 hours, uh, like 840s.org, uh, 840shours.org, uh, uh, that has uh, a career, it's a kind of a career guide for uh, so-called effective altruists. And it has a career guide for uh, potential AI research, AI safety researchers. Also, they have published uh, what they call the AI safety syllabus. Uh, so, uh, yeah, books and uh, uh, books to read and videos to watch and so forth. Yeah, because I'm also uh, thinking of the future workforce that we may have, and who would have predicted that, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, people would then be going into careers that uh, are to do with Google AdWords and uh, SEO and all this sort of stuff. So uh, I am guessing from listening to you that actually getting involved in AI is probably a good uh, bet on where the future workforce may be heading. Uh, that's true. Or more generally, programming is something that I think it's uh, harder and harder to avoid, uh, regardless of like having some idea of. Uh, of uh, how computers work and what uh, what software can do is is a more and more important uh, component of uh, of jobs, regardless of what uh, what domain you are in. Now, as we wrap this up, then Jan, uh, I'm often thinking that you know, like the human race, we we always rely on technology to help us out. So when you know we sort of were going through, I think the. Uh, late noughties, the, um, you know, where there was a worry about running out of oil and supposedly there was going to be no oil in 2017. And, uh, you know, we always thought technology would, would pull us out. Now, basically listening to you, we realised that technology could wipe us out <laughs> and could be the threat. Uh, what, what is going to be, in your opinion, uh, the, the way that the human species is going to become extinct because of uh, AI and how can we prevent it? Well, there are many, many ways how human species can uh, can go extinct. I mean, the most mundane thing is that every 10 million years or so, a large or more importantly, fast enough uh, rock comes along to, to just cause like a uh, wipeout of many species, potentially uh, humans. It has happened before here. And uh, if you just wait long enough, uh, it will happen again. Uh, the, but I think more likely indeed uh, there would be catastrophic scenarios from uh, there could be catastrophic scenarios from uh, yeah 21st century technologies or perhaps even 20th century technologies such as nuclear weapons uh, and, uh, and and yes but the reason why I'm focused on AI is that uh, yeah as I said once for one it has all this like positive upside the way I describe it is that uh, that uh, you can kind of frame AI research as the uh, humanity's search for the best possible future with the important caveat that we are going to irrevocably committing 
we are going to irrevocably commit to the first result that we find from that search. Uh, and uh, uh, but the other reason that um, uh, uh, kind of, uh, thinking about AI is that AI is sort of a meta technology. It, it is a technology that can develop its own technologies. So whatever concerns we have about biotechnology, nanotechnology, terraforming, uh, it's and so on and so forth. Like if you don't actually make AI being concerned uh, about uh, uh, kind of uh, about the same similar constraints that we would like to exercise on our technology development. Well, once it starts developing its own technology, we just uh, not no longer going to have uh, a kind of environment uh, that's uh, that kind of is able to uh, sustain humanity. This is fascinating. What um, do you feel like we've covered the subject? Uh, enough or is there anything that we've missed that you think we should bring out in our conversation? I think the really important uh, bit is that uh, the default outcome uh, like the AI so AI outcomes can be really great uh, but the default outcome is not uh, therefore we actually need to do a bunch of work in order to in order to get uh, steer away from the default outcome and get actually the uh, outcome that you want. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's interesting. I think it de definitely highlights like how we need to think about this subject, don't you? That uh, often we feel like it's very science fiction. It's very you know like put towards the future, but we don't know when there could be this big breakthrough and whatever. So these safety um, things that are going on are obviously very important. Uh, well, thank you very much for coming on uh, this very special episode, episode 500 of the App Guy podcast. Uh, I'll be putting full show notes on um, the website. It's theappguy.co. Just search for Jan Tallinn, episode 500, and you'll get to uh, see the links um, that we can share with you about AI. Jan, thanks very much for uh, speaking with us today on um, and, and leaving us with the uh, the possibility of us all potentially you know, becoming extinct. <laughs> Right, thank you. So I'm about to launch a beautiful app. In fact, it's an app that is loved by Apple itself. And we've really got a big uh, plans for this app. And also the co-founder of Apple, Steve Wozniak, he's played with it and likes the app. In fact, loves the app and is willing to do a video demo of it. So it's a big app. I'm really excited about it, but I need your help. I need your help if you're listening to this show. And if you've listened to some of my free content, then please, I am uh, appealing to you to uh, introduce me to any growth hackers or any app developers, app entrepreneurs who have had successful app launches, who have really good growth hacks, tips, things they've done for launches. Uh, I am always learning and I have launched many apps, but I'm seeking ways to really accelerate the app downloads on a, an early stage. Uh, we're very confident that this is an app that is going to be enjoyed by users. We've done some beta testing and it's got some positive feedback. And also, as I say, Apple do love the 3D touch of the app. We're making a really good use of 3D touch. It's a very natural way to record video and edit video whilst you're recording. There's no other app like it. Uh, and so I really am seeking introductions. Have a think right now through your network. Who do you know? Uh, that has launched uh, an app and uh, has really good um, downloads and have figured out a way of getting those downloads, please do get in touch with me. It's paul at theappguy.co, paul at theappguy.co, or 
through my uh, website, uh, theappguy.co, theappguy.co, uh, also on Twitter, Paul underscore S underscore Kemp. And of course, look out for it on Product Hunt. And I would love any introductions to perhaps journalists. Uh, I, I know some tech journalists, and we're hoping to get the uh, app showcased and written about. But if you do have any good contacts with uh, tech journalists or anyone who's an influencer, a blogger, then again, please do let me know. Thanks very much for listening to this. And uh, I'll certainly keep you updated on how the app launch goes. Bye for now.